Hello and welcome to the Plague Cast. This is a show where we talk about historical pandemics to kind of get a better idea of what's going on in the world right now. Uh, my name is Max. I'm one of your hosts, and I am a fourth-year medical student. And at best, I'm an amateur historian. So bear with us. Um, and I'm here with my co-host and sister, Sam. Uh, so Sam, do you want to kind of tell us a little about about yourself? Well, sure. Uh, I'm your sister. I'm in college. Uh, I suggested that, hey, you're writing a paper for one of your classes, you're doing so much research, why not turn it into a podcast? And you listened. Yeah, you didn't, probably didn't expect for me to rope you into it either. No, I didn't. With my minimal podcast background, (laughs) I am here as support. Yep. So we're, we're on the same page there. So we're just going to go ahead and dive in. So um, for this first episode, we're going to talk about the plague of Justinian. Um, so, Sam, had you ever heard of this before? I have heard of Justinian from the Code of Justinian. Yes, yes. So he was a very important ruler of Rome in the 6th century. Um, and we'll kind of get a little more into the history of that. Um, but before that, so to kind of go over, like, um, the some of our, like, terms that we're going to be using. So have you ever heard of, like, plague and pandemic kind of being used synonymously? Is I've... that something definitely heard pandemic okay um and i have heard plague and pandemic kind of the same like a plague of smallpox and yeah. stuff like that yeah so in this case it it is one and the same um and the difference is kind of confusing because like in you know when you're talking about everyday plague and pandemic are very similar um specifically when you're getting down to the actual definitions pandemic um is a disease that envelops basically the whole world at one time and it can be any disease um, plague, on the other hand, is a very specific disease caused by a certain organism that has a certain set of symptoms. It's, it's like plague is a disease like flu is a disease. But because it's such an old term, it kind of gets folded into a lot of things. So to, to kind of like set the stage here, why, why are we talking about this plague of Justinian? It's, it was an ancient event. How does it possibly affect us now? Well, so kind of the rationale for what we're going to talk about on this podcast are we're going through kind of some of the most significant pandemics in human history. So it's not necessarily that they were the most graphic or the most unique, but it's that they changed society in the most fundamental ways. So we're going to go through a couple of those. And we'll start here because it's the first really, really kind of earth shattering disease event that occurred and we have good records of um so you say this is an ancient plague yeah so what time frame are we looking at like when did it happen okay so we know it started at um 541 ad the year 541 um and then lasted to about 700 ad um okay hold yeah. on that's a long time yeah it is and it I, and Kind of to the point, like, anything seems like a massive, like, casualty event if you give it that long. Um, mm-hmm. But in this case, so you have to remember that rather than today where, like, say, COVID spreads all around the world within weeks, this was the ancient world. Transportation was slow. And you had, like, kind of sequential outbreaks that, like, you know, strung along the Mediterranean and then very gradually made its way to China in, like, the 650s, which is why that time period is so long. It's like a Rube Goldberg machine. 
yeah, it, you, you really have to like complete one step before it really has the ability to get to another one. So yeah, it's, it's exactly like that. It, that's when, that's why it stretches for so long. Um, part of the reason also is that probably that huge time frame probably represents multiple like transmissions from like animal to human. Um, so like separate transmissions, probably the same disease, but it probably like regresses back into an animal population and then springs out at a different point in time and place. Um, so that's kind of what we're talking about here. But within all of this, the, the reason it's so significant um, is that in that, you know, 541 to 700-ish time period, um, it probably claimed around 25 million lives, that's which is an absolutely ridiculous number. But kind of more to the point, there was a more concentrated but pretty equally significant period of death that occurred within the first two or three years. So 541 to 543. And in that time, the plague um, spread across the Mediterranean, across the empire of Justinian, basically, which is where it gets its name. And in that time, even in the ancient world with just ridiculously lower populations, it killed about 4 million people, which is insane. That is a lot. That yeah, that's a lot. And, and it's a huge percentage on top of that. Mm -hmm. um, so what was going on in the world at the time of this pandemic? Kind of set the stage for what's to come. So at this point, so Justinian is the ruler of the Eastern Roman Empire. A couple decades prior to this, the, the empire had split into Eastern and Western halves, um, each ruled by like basically totally separate rulers, but they were still considered, you know, a cohesive empire. Prior to this, about a hundred years prior to um, Justinian's, like, taking the throne and this whole plague happening, the Western Roman Empire had actually fallen. And at this point, some historians consider this to be, like, the end of Rome, the, the fall of the Roman Empire. Um, but kind of the more modern take on this is that Rome, you know, didn't really fall per se because the people in the east like justinian's predecessors they called themselves roman they they considered themselves the you know the legitimate roman empire as a whole not just the eastern roman empire so that was kind of what's going on you have the eastern roman empire is still you know administratively capable it's still you know um that its territory has shrunk um quite a bit from like the height of the entire roman empire um, not just because it's lost, you know, half of it, but because it's kind of been encroached on by barbarian tribes. Rome has been down on its luck for a very long time prior to this pandemic. And then entered Justinian. So he took the throne um, in the early part of the 6th century, like 620s. Um, and when he came to power, he kind of was really facing a a small empire, a relatively small empire that was continually shrinking. He really didn't have a lot to go on and kind of the, the sense of like Roman pride was really diminished. So one of his big objectives was to reconquer the glory and the territory of the old Roman empire. Make Rome great again. Make Rome great. I know. I'm, I was worried you were going to say that. And in, in the ancient world, Basically, prestige was tied directly to conquest, you know, success in battle. So that was 
his main, what, what he set out to do. Um, so he sent armies very far afield um, under the command of his general, Belisarius was his name, very like one of history's greatest generals. So like one of history's greatest rulers, he's also called Justinian the Great for like context, paired with one of the greatest generals. Um, and with that combination and like a really capable um, like bureaucracy and administration and, you know, governmental structure, um, he or the two of them together basically took over almost the entire area that Rome had at its peak hundreds of years ago. Um, so what, what, what they have now um, around the time of this Justinianic plague um, was they have like the coast of basically all of North Africa, including most of the area of Egypt, all of like Jerusalem, that kind of area, um, Turkey, what is now Turkey with their capital in Constantinople, um, which is now modern day Istanbul, uh, and then kind of just like a circuit all the way around the um, northern Mediterranean, including like Greece and all of it, just about all of Italy, um, parts of Spain. Um, they didn't get back into England, but that was basically the only area that they didn't reconquer. So they were extremely successful. Rome was at a height it had not been for literally hundreds of years, which kind of dispels the whole idea of Rome falling. Like this is this is a resurgence to much greater than much greater power than the Ro the whole Roman Empire was before the quote unquote fall. Mm -hmm. So this is a resurgence. This is a this is a high watermark in Roman history. Not the highest, but pretty close up there. Yeah. So whether you're kind of a in the historian camp of like oh Rome fell in like five forty one or four fifty one um, when Rome was besieged. Um, and the East and the Western Roman Empire file fell, or it fell like much later, like as late as like the 1400s, which is crazy. Um, but you know, everyone kind of agrees somewhere in there. Um, but it was the, the thing everyone agrees on is that it was sometime after Justinian and it was basically a very rapid and very precipitous, um, downward trajectory after Justinian and the one thing that happens to coincide with that very significantly is the plague. Isn't that just how it goes? Yeah. So one, one, I guess one of the themes we're going to talk about in this like podcast series is that pandemics change the course of history. Mm -hmm. You had a Roman Empire that was basically at its at one of its highest peaks, and you brought it to its knees. Mm -hmm. The old ways crash and burn and rise anew. What's that from? I don't know. I just made it up. That is, ooh, that is very profound. <laughs> I like that. Cool. So let's, I guess let's, let's talk about how that happened. We talked about plagues. This is, the disease is plague. And it is truly one of the most terrifying diseases that humans ever have the misfortune to encounter. So, um... Everyone kind of has like a visual of like rats and plague and like the Middle Ages, like stuff like that. And that, that's all true. But let's kind of go through like what it actually means. So plague itself is a specific bacterium called Yersinia pestis. Um, and it reproduces in the gut of a very specific um, species of flea called Xenophilosiopsis. It's actually it's specific to a certain species of rat. It's a rat flea. For a certain, it's like, it's crazy specificity. 
but it just happens to have like a crazy outsized impact on human history, this one bacteria. So we can kind of talk about a little bit about what the disease is. Um, so when, when it reaches a human host, the disease, it's kind of a similar course happens in rats, but you know, humans is really where we care about and really where it gets like, Ooh, scary, nasty, nasty exactly. Mm-hmm. So there are three basically forms that the disease can take in a human. Um, one is bubonic. So you get the term bubonic plague is like the form. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is where you basically you get bitten by this flea and the bacteria enter your bloodstream um, and you get these really significant swellings in the lymph nodes that are basically closest to wherever the flea bit you. Um, and they get massive and they're like, like tangerine size swelling. So they're like huge and they develop like really relatively quickly, like over the course of like hours to days. And they're like super, super tender. Um, so like, you know, they're there and sometimes they turn black, which is where you get the term black plague. So that's the bubonic form. You get these buboes, but then it kind of progresses and kind of around the same time you get really high fevers you know so so high that like historians of the time of the justinianic plague um talk about people hallucinating basically having fever dreams because they're just absolutely delirious with sickness that's and with this you get like gi symptoms you get like vomiting diarrhea and you've got these big huge like painful buboes and it's very obvious that you're sick and with this form the bubonic form about a third of everyone who gets it dies. Oh my God. Yeah. It is like, as diseases, that, that might not sound like crazy significant, but as diseases go, that is insane. That's devastating. Yeah. And actually, I should, I should even clarify, it can go even higher. Like, so in the ancient world, we know there's basically no medicine. Mm-hmm. D- mortality range from one third to two thirds. So basically up to 60% or 66% of people who ever got bitten by this flea were going to die. That's It's bad odds. It's bad odds. Um, but that's that's the bubonic form. That is the mildest form oh of plague. God. So then the next form. That, that one is spread by fleas. So you don't really spread it to another person unless an infected flea bites you then bites another person. So mm-hmm. the flea needs infected blood to spread it to another one to give them bubonic form. Okay. With that, there's another form called pneumonic, which is a lot more rare. And especially in this out in modern times, it's very, very rare. And in this outbreak, it was a little less rare, but still not as common as the bubonic form. That was the primary dealio. Mm-hmm. Um, Comforting. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, you know, you just you only have to worry about the 60 percent mortality. That's not as bad. Oh, that's nothing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the pneumonic form. The pneumonic form is, is the, again, the same bacteria. It's just that in the pneumonic form, the bacteria happens to get, to migrate to your lungs. And when it does that, it just causes, basically it liquefies your lungs. You just get massive bleeding into your lungs. And because of that irritation and, and like your like throat and all of that. And because of that irritation, you just cough. And you wind up getting these horrifying visuals of just people on the street who felt well a little while ago, just coughing up blood, copious amounts of blood. And in this blood, there's, of course, plague bacteria, because that's where it went to the lungs. 
Um, and the, the kind of like insidious thing about pneumonic plague is that when you get pneumonic plague, you basically spread it as pneumonic plague. So if you're in a house with someone and, you know, I don't know, you're, you're in one house and everyone gets, one person gets, everyone gets bitten by a host of fleas and they all get bubonic plague. A third, a third to two thirds of them will die. And that's awful. That's horrifying. That, that is like, that is a disease unheard of in most of human history. But if you're in a house and one person, maybe one person gets bubonic plague, but then it migrates to the lungs and they start coughing up blood, their own blood, and it sprays droplets out into the air, which are actually extremely contagious. Um, and other people in the house start inhaling those droplets. It only really takes a very small amount of inhaled droplets. And then it goes, that's uh, kind of in the premise, it goes straight to their lungs. So, of course, they have pneumonic plague. And then it, be- it multiplies in their lungs. And then their lungs bleed. And then they cough and they spread it. And um, to kind of mention, at the time... There is, there's a couple people, there's like literally six people in the world that wrote about this at the time in the sixth century. So it's like not a, not a ton of firsthand accounts. And even then they didn't write much about it because they just assumed it was like, oh, this is uh, wrath, standard wrath of God. And we'll just note it. Mm, this, this sucks. Will, yep, well. this is bad. Um, but to return to our pneumonic plague, pneumonic plague has a mortality ratio or a mortality um, percentage just around 100%. Lord. So That's it would sick. be extremely rare for anyone to survive it without medical treatment. Oh my gosh. Even now, even now it's super deadly. Like if you get pneumonic plague, um basically you have to get like antibiotics um like very early in the course mm-hmm. and then it modifies the survival to like 50%. Oof. Which is, you know, crazy difference, but Still not great. Good. Nice. And if you get it late in the course when they're really coughing up blood, it's pretty close to 100% mortality. Makes you wish those people in Justinian's time had a mask. Yeah. I, if only. If a mask, only. antibiotics, maybe some like ventilators. like Maybe hand sanitizer. Yeah. That wouldn't have helped. No. Not really. I mean, it would have helped little. Breath spray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what they need. Um, I teased earlier that there were three types. The third one, I will say, it's a little... Um, it's not as dramatic, but it is, like, hyper-lethal. It's called septicemic plague. Um, and it's rare. It's the rarest of the three. Um, and it's not very well characterized because it's, you know, relatively rare. Um, but basically, it's these types of plague that just skip the bubo stage. So you get in it, you get really sick really, really fast. You don't necessarily cough up blood. Um, but you die like very quickly and people like historians kind of theorize that this is where you get accounts of people like just boop dying of like seemingly having no symptoms, but just like keeling over in the street being dead. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is the perfect time to talk about some of our historians. So, um, at the time, uh, this is basically like the start of history as a practice. So people just kind of writing down like what's going on in the world, just, you know, for information so people in later generations would have it and one of these historians his name was Procopius he uh he basically was like Justinian's chronicler he chronicled a lot of like his conquest of you know the rest of Europe um and he also kind of briefly mentioned the plague 
was Justinian's biggest fan. He, he pretty much was. Yeah, he was not only his like historian, but he was like his propaganda he was department. His hype man. Yeah, he really was. He was his hype man. So he said a lot of great things about Justinian. Um, not a lot of things, period, about the plague, because part of it is like, well, actually, no one really attributed it to Justinian. They didn't really think it was his fault. Good for him. Um, or at least Procopius didn't. They thought it was just, I don't know, no. natural event, wrath of God, something like that. That was that was what they stuff. thought. But a couple things he described that I think are, are worth kind of delving into. So one was the practice of writing your name on a tag before you would go outside in the street. And that was so, if you died suddenly, if you just dropped dead or started coughing blood and were dead like very soon after, they, like the authorities, would be able to identify your body and tell your family. That's That's sick. how bad it was. You had uh, dog tags. Yeah, basically, they're dog tags. That's yeah. sick. Yeah, and people were doing it themselves because they understood just how deadly this was. Maybe we can go kind of zoom in and do like a day in the life. Oh, I don't want to live <laughs> okay. a day in that life. Okay. okay. So, uh, so a day in life. So let, let's, uh, we'll, we'll have you be uh, a citizen of Constantinople because Constantinople was uh, like a, it was a big city, pretty metropolitan. Um, and it got hit really hard. So why, why don't we zoom in? Why, why don't we start with you? So if you were, if you lived in the 6th century, what, uh, what uh, profession would you have? Well, I'd probably be a weaver. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's good. So you, let's say you're a weaver. Um, you work in, uh, maybe down by the docks, um, and you've got a little market stand. So you would have, um, interacted with tons of different people. Um, the, Roman Empire, even at that time, was, like, ridiculously interconnected for, from the, like, standpoint of the ancient world. You probably would have traded or worked with um, silk from China um, or, um, you know, dyes from, like, um, West Africa or, um, like, I don't know, different fabrics or beads from, you know, Britannia or something. Like, really far-flung trading networks, like, really, really significant, like, amount of people that are coming into the docks um, and just kind of interacting, of you know, of different cultures and mixing. So you're a weaver. You're kind of just, like, plying your trade, you know, selling your wares. On a, a given day, let's say in 541, 540, I think 542 is when it hits Constantinople. Coming in from the docks, you probably would have noticed, you know, a handful of sailors coming from Egypt, most likely, um, which was like the breadbasket of the Roman Empire. So these sailors would be coming in. Everyone, all the commenters at the time, like, note, like, a special way that the, like, infected would walk. Kind of like zombies, like, because you'd get, like, you'd yeah. get the buboes, but it would often be in your groin. So you'd be like, you know, kind of, yeah, there, yeah, yeah, you'd just be like favoring that side and you'd be kind of limping and I don't know, kind of lurching and That's... it'd just be a, it'd be, it's a painful way to walk. And, um, and it, it would look painful and it would look kind of like odd. And you might notice these big, um, sometimes black giant tangerine sized lymph nodes protruding out of people's necks and armpits. Um, and of those, they would have come off the ship and they would have brought tons of their dead with them. Huge proportions of them would have died on the relatively short boat ride from Egypt to Constantinople. And this would have been striking, but not unheard of. This, you know, sees a dangerous place. You know, there's like other diseases are not uncommon. 
But what really would have stood out to you is that when some of these people came off the boat, some of them would have been coughing and coughing up blood. That would have stood out. People noticed that. So yeah, she, you would have noticed it. You would have been, you know, frightened, but you didn't really have any, um, they didn't necessarily have a conception of like contagious disease. Um, and they, their, their like conception of medicine was also like way, yeah, it was the, it was the four humors kind of thing. So it was like, you've got like these four different liquids in your body and depending on different levels of them is what disease you have, or if you have no disease, mm-hmm. um, so that's that's what you would have thought. Maybe if you had any knowledge of medicine at all, you would have like gone back to oh, their humors must oh. be out of balance. That's they need some wine. Exactly, something something like that, or some magical amulet or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, I guess, you wouldn't really have thought much of it because you didn't like think they could give their disease to you. Mm-hmm. But after a few hours uh, of them coming off the dock, maybe that one particular ship coming off the dock, you might notice, you know couple extra fleas. You're a little bit itchier than normal. You've got, you know, rats always running around, but you, you notice some of these look a little sickly and they're walking kind of a weird way. And you, you get bitten by one of these fleas. Oh, and I, I, the fleas, that reminds me. So I have to go into, this is yet another level of like horrifying. Um, but the way that the bacteria tricks the fleas to help it spread itself is like, is disgusting so the bacteria lives it's like lives in the rat and it reproduces in the flea um and so the flea bites an infected rat and it sucks up some of the blood with some of the bacteria and the bacteria actually so it it wants to get to new rats the bacteria does so in order to do that they form like a ball of bacteria in the fleas like whatever the flea equivalent of the intestines are um, and because of that, like it can't get any food through its stomach, any blood through its stomach. So it just vomits it out, but it does this for a while. And all of a sudden it thinks it's starving because it's not really getting any nutrients. So it feeds extra ravenously. It bites more and more rats because it's just desperate to eat. And each time it does this, it will drink down the blood, drink down the blood, but then it'll be blocked and it will vomit the infected blood back out. So it's reinfecting an old rat or infecting a new rat with its vomit every time. So it bites a new host and it just gets hungrier and hungrier and hungrier and it keeps vomiting back out infected bacteria. So anyway, that's what happens to you. That's sick. Yeah. But you don't notice anything until a couple, probably a couple of days later, you start to notice this swelling. Maybe it's in your armpit. Maybe that's where it, near where it, you and that's just the nearest lymph node to there um and you notice it's very painful and you 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 can't like do your weaving as well um and you know around that time you also notice that you're getting really warm you're how you you don't really have a concept of what a fever is but you feel very warm and you're sweating and you've got chills um and then around that time you also kind of develop like vomiting and diarrhea and that's you know that's you were if you thought of the four humors you would have been like oh no this is like a my choleric humor is all off and you would have tried to correct it maybe by going to a hospital which existed at the time or or and they would maybe bleed you or they'd maybe give you like certain herbs that actually may have helped some of them like basically accidentally were good 
they like they had an idea what they were doing. It was just the wrong idea. So yeah, you had you had hospitals that you could go to, state funded hospitals. It was like ridiculously advanced in the Roman like world. Um, but yeah, and then you get sicker and sicker, and maybe you go back to your family. Um, so this this you've got bubonic. So bubonic only spreads by fleas. So only if you bring back fleas and the fleas jump off, would your family get sick. Um, but maybe you don't. Maybe your family's fine. Maybe you they they beat the odds, and you are you also beat the odds. You have like a two-thirds to a one-third chance of surviving, and you just happen to survive. But out in the streets, you and maybe you, your friend Procopius, I guess, also notices that, you know, people towards that are near the docks are getting sick first. And it's slowly coming in like waves towards the more populated centers of the city, and it's just expanding. And then by random chance, enough people get bacteria that goes to their lungs that it starts spreading through the air, through droplets. And then all of a sudden, you get just massive amounts of carnage. Um, one historian, I don't think it was Procopius, but he wrote of like 10,000 people falling sick every day in the city. And this was a city of like maybe a million. So it's like huge, like huge percentage of the population oh, yeah. is sick like every day and... You know, one third to two thirds of them die at like best. Sometimes it's 100% <laughs> a hundred percent of them. No, yeah, on a good day. Um, so the city government and the, just the empire in general is just freaking out, and they're trying to figure out how to contain this disease. They've their their idea of disease again, like I said, the four humors, and their I guess their rudimentary idea of infectious disease is the idea of miasmas, and they call miasmas, which is basically like a bad smell. So they thought, you know, you can you can get sick by, you know, smelling, um, I don't know, fe- a dead body or feces. And you can't, like, you can get sick from that. But they also, then the smell's not related to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did things to, like, help the smell. They, like, lit fires, and they, like, you know, tried, you know, burning sweet-smelling things and throwing out, like, sweet-smelling reeds and all that. Nothing was working. Um, the hospitals quickly became overwhelmed, and the people there often died. And then, really, the the main public health intervention that the government was somewhat able to function on was burying the dead. And even that was quite a challenge. First, they did what they normally do. Um, so they were Christians at this time, So and, and pagans were really into cremation, Christians more into burial. Um, so they did some of the, some of both of that. Um, and very quickly though, the graveyards filled up. Um, and after that they started, you know, digging mass graves and there is a utterly sickening report of what someone described as the quote unquote wine press of the dead. So that's people that had to stomp on already rotting corpses to tamp them down in order to put a new layer of corpses on because they didn't have time to dig a new ditch. That's monstrous. It is. It, it, it would have been... One, th- one thing about history that I think of often is that people in the past were not different than us now. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine yourself doing that, that is exactly how that person would have felt. But quickly, even that wasn't enough. So Justinian gave an order that you bury the dead in the, well, he said the towers of the city, which is like they were under construction. So it was easy to put dead in there. 
Um, and very quickly, people started complaining of the smell coming from the towers just wafting over the entire city. For months, this went on, and the city was just racked with absolute carnage. And this scene basically repeated over and over and over. And the entire, like, the route of conquest that um, Justinian's general Belisarius had taken, you know, he had supply routes, he had soldiers coming to the front and going back home. Cities along those lines were just decimated, as well as, like, other random trade lines. And it very quickly, over the course of, you know, a couple of years, spread across the entire Roman Empire. That is so crushing. Yeah. And in that, in those couple years, like three years, four million people died. That's four capitals of an empire. Yeah, it's just that's sickening. unbelievable. So that's we we kind of asked the question earlier why why talk about this? It's not like it, it honestly is not the most like it's not deadly book. It's not the worst. It's not the worst. It's not. It's not even the best one. No, it's not even the best. It's not even the scariest. It's like <laughs> it's a pretty run of the mill plague. Pretty but. The reason it's important is because it illustrates a very, very scary point. This plague took a Roman Empire, the most powerful empire in the world, that was on an upswing. It was resurgent. It was was doing everything right. It was doing everything right and had one of the greatest rulers it has had in its history. And with that, it brought it to its knees. Lord. Yeah. That's <laughs> it's scary. And it illustrates the point that pandemics change the world. They change history. And basically you can and th- this is often the point that other historians that are more kind of gradualists will attribute as like this is pretty much when the Roman Empire fell. No date basically after this is a very good candidate for when the Roman Empire fell. I buy it. Yeah. I'm with them. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's pretty brutal. Um, that's why the plague of Justinian matters. And, you know, if we take it, take the long view. So that's like huge geopolitical change in the short term. Mm-hmm. Um, in the next, you know, centuries, uh, it, things get even weirder. Oh. So the Roman Empire was, you know, they had their faults and they certainly weren't a like, I don't even know if you'd call them a good empire as empires go. I don't know. But the one thing it had going for it was very high degrees of organization. It safeguarded very extensive trade routes. And it had like a very, you know, systematic legal code and weights and measures were standardized. It was very, very good for trade. It was very good for human flourishing. People at the time lived actually, you know, pretty well. Probably a level of, you know, quality of life that would not have been unfamiliar to like George Washington or something. They would have pretty easy there was like major differences but oh, like yeah. there was pretty wow. pretty good comparison like you could go to the bath in the day and you eat well and all that um but after that standards of living across the area that was the roman empire tanked quality of life went down extremely quickly and just general human misery increased at a rapid rate is this the beginning of the dark ages this is this is the beginning of the Dark Ages. Makes sense. Yeah. So this is like, you think of the Dark Ages, you think of very low quality of life and very, very low levels of literacy. 
And that's pretty much the big thing. Like human knowledge almost, well, very nearly disappeared. And that would have been a travesty of history. And on top of that, you get into what, when we can look back this far, we see very interesting long-term trends. So at this point, um, Constantinople is the basically the center of the Western world. It's an extremely important trade hub and also um, you know, center of information and power. After the plague of Justinian, populations all across Europe fall pretty dramatically, um, and even more so in the East. So there's a couple decades and maybe even centuries where populations are low, standards of livings are low, Basically, just everything's kind of taking a step back, and it's reset to like a time that was centuries before. And as time goes on, like weird small changes start to add up. For example, in the East, farming practices didn't change very dramatically when the, when the population was low. But in the West, particularly in like the kingdom of the Franks, which is like modern day France, um, Germany, like England, like that area. Um, that was a very low power kind of area. But after the plague of Justinian, there was kind of a population reset, more or less. And that population, because they were more, for whatever reason, culturally, I guess, more interested in innovation, um, they adopted new like plow technologies, and they adopted new like, you know, crop rotation systems and things like that, like very seemingly simple things. But because of that, their populations grew at a much more rapid rate than in the East. And over the course of centuries, it transferred the center of power from modern-day Turkey to modern-day England, France, Germany, Spain. And that has persisted to the modern day. And that is largely because of one small little bacteria specific to one little flea specific to one unique species of rat. And that is the plague of Justinian. That's <laughs> wild. Yeah, that is the that is one of the earlier plagues, not even the most significant. So there's a ton of things we could talk about on this podcast, um, and we'll be marching through the history of some of the most significant pandemics in human history, um, and we'll be talking about their effects and what we can learn about them today. So I uh, appreciate you guys joining us on the plague cast yeah um, and it gets better from it here. gets better this was it gets better. light this was plague light <laughs> all right so i guess we'll have some kind of outro yeah thanks for listening yeah hope to see you in the next one yeah and uh wash your hands